It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Global Game here on SEN. James Dodd and Scott McDonald with you once again this evening. And as ever, we've got plenty to discuss from around the world of football. Scott McDonald, should we get stuck into it? Absolutely. And I love that music in the commentary as well. It's bringing back the memories. Lovely stuff. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I said this to producer Alex yesterday. I personally, and I'm biased because I'm English, I think that is the best World Cup song that's ever been written. Oh, you would, wouldn't you? I was going to mention that. About, it, had to be, it had to be an English song. At least it wasn't It's Coming Home, but I'm sure that's being, I'm sure that's going to come if they beat France. My God. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I actually haven't heard that song being played that much. I remember for the last World Cup and the Euros in particular, it was everywhere, even out here in Australia. I haven't mm. heard much of it. But listen, what's not to like about John Barnes rapping? <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think I could do it as good as him. <laughs> well, coming up on tonight's show, we'll recap the day's big stories from the World Cup as Portugal hit Switzerland for six. But there was one member of the Portuguese team who didn't look too happy at the end. You can probably guess who that is. We'll head to the Spanish capital, Madrid, to discuss all the fallout from their shock loss to Morocco on penalties. What does the future hold for Luis Enrique? We'll find that out. And we'll discuss the latest on Graham Arnold following the news. Football Australia want him to continue in the role with a new deal. Plus... We'll get Scotty's take on who the possible candidates are to take over if Arnie says no. I'll throw a few names at him and see what sticks. That's all coming up on the Global Game right here on SEN. But first, it's time for today's hot topic for Guzmani Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. Scott McDonald, we're going to cover the games in more detail later on. But the quarterfinals are now set for the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Saturday, 2 a.m., Croatia against Brazil. Saturday, 6 a.m., Netherlands-Argentina. And then the early game on Sunday is Morocco-Portugal, followed by England v. France. Is it too easy to ask you that... Is there Are there going to be any shocks out of those games? If we're assuming, Scotty, that Brazil are favourites, Portugal are favourites to go through, France are favourites to go through, and I think maybe Argentina slightly edge it against Netherlands. Can you see some shocks coming? Yes, I can. I can because that's that's been the uh, run of the mill for this tournament, hasn't it? You know, so it, it would not surprise me if there's a few shakeups uh, throughout these next four games. Um, the biggest one for me is the Netherlands. I, I I don't I see that as a neck and neck, and I just think 
their performances are telling me right now that they've got more in the bag than what Argentina are doing. They need Magic uh, Messi again mm -hmm. if they're going to get through this one. And obviously Di Maria, question marks, if he's going to be fit as well. Um, I just feel that you know Netherlands under Van Gaal are going to cause that issue. And then Portugal, we just don't know. We just don't know what's going to happen with the whole saga around Ronaldo too. So lots of interesting games. And then your lot, obviously the English, can they actually upset France? Because I think French are the favourites within that one as well. So that will be a surprise if they win that one. There you go, Dodzy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and to be honest, uh, you know, I was looking, I was reading a few bits from the, the UK press today. And, and I think, I don't know what, what you think about this. I personally think that if, if Kylian Mbappe wasn't in that side and they had, you know, they had someone, they had Antoine Griezmann playing there and, and instead they had Karim Benzema, but there was no Mbappe. I would have England down as favourites to win that game. But I think because of the form that he is in, the things that he can do with the football at the moment, everything he touches, it seems to work for him. You know, I, and I, I asked this to Richard Garcia the other night when we were talking about Kylian Mbappe. It's it's easy to to assume that, you know, the way that he's growing in stature, not just, you know, mentally, but physically as well. He looks like he's bulking up. He's a real presence on the pitch now. The easy comparison would be to, to Thierry Henry and the way that he starts on that left, but will end up playing through the middle. But Richard Garcia believes he's actually going to be more of a, a Brazilian Ronaldo type. What do you think? Yeah, look, it's look. I think the Vavavuma on Rio, he was he was very finesse like. Uh, well, not to say that uh, you know Mbappe doesn't have that, and and in terms of similarities, how they glide with the ball uh, and they go from zero to a hundred so so electrically quick within the first five yards. There is a lot of comparisons, and coming off the left, like you say, uh, look. I think he will, will break every record going in French football, um, particularly in that French national team. We've seen that 52 goals for uh, Giroud already. Um, Mbappe's got 33, so he's not far behind already. Um, nine goals in World Cup competitions already. Youngest player to do so. Um, on the Just on the coattails of uh, being the all-time leading goal scorer in a World Cup with Miroslav Klose, I think he's got 12. So, look, the, the guy's got everything. He's a phenom. And, and I love it how you say, oh, well, if Mbappe wasn't in the team, then England <laughs> might have, you know, be the favourites. I'm clinging that's on. Like every, I'll tell you what, that's like every top world-class team that have won World Cups. You can say that about every single one of them. So, and, and, that's why they win, and that's why they win, Dodzy, because they have got that X factor and that, that one player who can just be the difference it doesn't always work we see that with the likes of Ronaldo and Messi but you need a good uh, cog around you and the French are that look and I, I'd love to talk about the French more because I've seen a lot of them and I've seen a lot of their youth development over the, the, the last couple of years doing my UEFA pro license um, seeing the UEFA uh, tournaments at under 18s under 19s and the, the, what they're developing there I'm telling you there's more coming mm -hmm. so the likes of uh Kamavinga and and Shuemi, who's just come into the team I seen them two years ago and they were phenomenal. And now they're at Real Madrid. And, I, and I'm telling you, there is more of them coming. So it's scary thought. Well, hopefully just a good job that <laughs> Camavinga and Truermany is enough for, for France to have at the moment on, on Sunday. That is our hot topic. Thanks to Guzman Igomez, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. So, Scotty, yesterday, let me take you back to the show. We had Adam Peacock on at the top of the show, breaking the news that, you know, Football Australia and James Johnson had indeed identified Graham Arnold as their main choice, their first choice to carry on in the job rather than looking elsewhere. My question for you is, if if you are James Johnson, if you're the CEO of Football Australia, what duration do you do you put on that contract that you offered to Graham Arnold? And and realistically, given that the, the you know the most successful World Cup campaign has just finished, mm -hmm. what is realistic 
to be expected of Graham Arnold in current continuing in this role? Well, I think um, I think it has to be four years. I think any uh, coach that comes into a, an international uh, team, uh, particularly what our aim is, is to get to a World Cup every four years. So I think the plan has to be around the, the, the head coach being there for that four-year period. Um, so it has to be a four-year period. Look, for the remit is to obviously continue uh, the success of this, uh, obviously, World Cup campaign, qualify once again for the World Cup, have a qualify for the Asia Cup, win the Asia Cup. I think that's something that always is a remit for us and should be because we're within the top four nations within Asia still, I believe. Um, so you have to back yourselves to go on a good run and tournament play. You just never know, as we've seen in this campaign um, with the Socceroos. And, and then it's obviously the development and, and feeding down the way and bringing back up, like Arnie likes to talk about a lot and what he wants to do. And I guess I suppose it's going to be a combination of both parties coming together and actually getting what they want from that, um, which I don't think they're actually there yet, um, even in the negotiations of what they think between the two parties, where they should be, just reading between the lines of what Arnie wants to do and what the FA want to do. So could that be something that you know sort of breaks up the discussions um, and leads into someone else filling that void we'll have to wait and see on that look there's no question Graham Arnold deserves the opportunity to continue if he wants to after this wonderful campaign that he's had and um, how he resonates with his squad and if you ask any of those players who have been to that World Cup which we will at some at some point um, during the next week or so um, get a couple of them on but they'll want him to continue they've enjoyed the the process with him um, but I think we can Look, being a little bit more pragmatic within it, there is we have to remember where we were at before this tournament. Tournament plays one thing, but it's like you touched on last night with Adam is, you know, it's preparing for the one nation at a time, tactically getting it right, um, our campaign being not obviously perfect, but being better than what it is, qualifying for the World Cup without having to go through this playoff process, um, which we had to, which again, that that's not acceptable realistically for Australian football and what we're used to now as much as we qualified we want to be doing that more successfully um, so that would be the remit as well for, for Graham Arnold and, and and going ahead however he'll believe that he's got the the group that can do that now and he's got a lot of players there that now can still play for another four years and play at another World Cup so here's, here's my take on it and I want to get your, your thoughts on mm -hmm. this because it's my understanding that after it was, you know, done and dusted that the Socceroos couldn't qualify automatically for the World Cup, there was obviously the understanding and it was, you know, it was set in stone that his contract was coming to an end at the end of the World Cup cycle. Mm -hmm. They were seriously considering replacing Graham Arnold then. So for, for James Johnson to come out and say that, you know, he's the man we want to take 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 them forward, does does that feel as though it's a little bit, What's the best term? It's a little bit short-sighted. It's a bit reactionary given what they did at the World Cup. Scotty, would that be a concern? Because Graham Arnold would have known that. And yes, you know, there was there was a there was cause for concern for him because I remember that he was out in the Middle East ahead of the, the day that the World Cup draw was going to be made. And he wasn't 100% sure if he was going to be going to the draw because he didn't know if he was going to be staying on in the job. So do you think that will be in the back of his mind as well? Yeah, absolutely. But I think 
like all managers and head coaches, regardless if it's international football or club football, your head's on the chopping block. You have to, you have to get the results. It's a results-driven business. And quite frankly, you know, the, the results weren't coming the second half of the World Cup qualifying campaign. And, and that led to, because we had a great start to that campaign, and, and that led to us having to go through a playoff um, and unconvincingly get there. But we got there, so who cares? And it's all in the, the, the history books and, and what we've done at this tournament. And it's been wonderful. Now, does this give Graham a, a platform to go and drive things um, and, and have more belief within that group and, and uh, a buy-in to his philosophy and what he wants to do? I think it does. So his case is a lot stronger. But you're right, it can be a little bit of a short-sightedness from the FA. However... We've got to look at what are the other options? How much money has Socceroos got? Um, again, we've not even discussed what Graham will be wanting to continue this role because he may have other options um, on the cards now that he's had this wonderful campaign in the World Cup. So you know, there's so much water to go under the bridge still to see where this ends up. Um, but for me, uh, look, it's an interesting one where Graham wants to, what he wants to do because Graham is very, very good when he's back to the wall. He shows that grit, that determination, just like he always has as a coach, an assistant coach, a player. He loves it. He loves that pressure. He doesn't necessarily like the criticism at the time, you know, if coming from media or whatnot. He, he takes it very personally. However, um, his response to it is excellent. Um, and he's done it once again. Uh, he's probably going to get a lot more praise and, and confidence within whether it's media, uh, players and everything else going into the next phase. Um, it's just how he processes that and how he goes on. If you now, I know you're going to ask me about replacements. That that's a difficult one. Again, it comes down to finance, doesn't it? Mm, it does. And and I think that was what my next question was was leading into is that if you're looking at potential replacements, just say hypothetically, Graham Arnold says no, I want to move back into club management. Mm-hmm. You're a burgeoning young coach. You know, you've got aspirations of of going right to the very top. I, I don't doubt that when it comes to coaching, Scotty, but. Is is this Socceroos job a? Is it an older coach's job? If you've got, if you're John Aloisi, for example, who, who won the A League Men's Competition last year with Western United, it, without being in any way disrespectful, is is moving into the Socceroos job a, a, a somewhat sideward step in terms of you know coaches that have got aspirations to go and coach in Japan, like Ange Postecoglou did, like Kevin Musket did, or Patrick Kisnorbo is now in you know the first Australian coach to go and coach in, in one of Europe's top five leagues. Would they be looking at an automatic Australian candidate, do you think, for this job? Look, I think the the way we've had success under Graham Arnold and, and how he's brought back certain origins of the Australian way and the grit, the determination, um, the athleticism of what we've shown in, in years gone by, um, even in that 2006 squad, um, do we go foreign again and bring another influence in? I think that could be a possibility of a step back because I think we need to do it our way, not a Dutch way, not a German way. Mm. We can take snippets, but we have to be who we are, right? That's what brings our strengths out the, the most. And we've seen that at this tournament, you know, the camaraderie, the team spirit, the belief, the arrogance of we're good enough, but everyone else thinks we're not. We've always had that. So, and I think Graham's brought that back. And I think he deliberately did it, particularly during that last phase of the qualifi- qualification campaign when we had to play, you know, those those two, uh, two-legged two playoffs to get to the World Cup. He started to bring that siege mentality back into the group and what we were. Um, and I really like it. So I'd like to see another Australian given the opportunity. I would. However, if Graham is to, si- to step aside... 
and doesn't want to continue his role. Um, he's man that's stand, stood by him the whole way. He could definitely be a possibility of what the FA will look at in Rene Malmsteen and, and obviously the calibre mm. coach that he is and where he's been prior. And now he's been part of this Australian setup for so long. Is he someone that they would look to rather than look outside? And we know in international football that happens a lot, yep. not just in Australia, but overall everywhere. We're talking about, uh, you know, Roberto Martinez leaving Belgium and now all of a sudden Henri, because he's been his sidekick for, for many a year, being linked now as being that that guy is going to take over, i.e. Gareth Southgate, same thing. Yep. So that happens a lot in terms of progression of who's next in line. Someone that you wouldn't really fancy is actually because he's not a name or not the name that everyone's looking at. Um, if I had my way, I, you know what? I think I think for a lot of people, I think Kevin Musket would be the perfect, uh, perfect man to take that role. However, he'll have probably other aspirations in club football to look at. And after a successful time at, at Yokohama, it'd be very difficult to get someone like that and you're right, Dodzy, in terms of like um, taking an international role, it is seen upon as one that is for a senior statesman because when you're younger, you're still learning your crafts and you need to get them better um, and you want to. And in terms of dealing just with the man management side of the game, um, Graham's been around a long, long time now, as is other, you know, those top level coaches that that it's just a case of getting your tactics right and getting the best out of the group in, from a man management perspective. Well, it will be fascinating to see, Scotty, what does happen with regards to Graham Arnold, but we'll have you covered right here on the Global Game on SEN. Don't forget, download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, where you can watch the new docuseries A-Leagues All Access. This week's episode is Melissa Barbieri. I've seen it. I do work for Keep Up. It is a fantastic episode. It details her struggles with being a professional footballer, being a mum, and moving into her next chapter, which will see her calling games as a lead commentator. It is a fascinating watch. Meanwhile, on the site today on Keep Up, we've got a great interview of Adelaide hero Craig Goodwin discussing the return of the Isuzu A-League men this weekend. Plus, there's a great analytical piece ahead of the league's restart. It's heading for its highest scoring season ever. That's all available on the Keep Up app, uh, Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. Plenty more still to come here on the show, but you're listening to The Global Game thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Ashraf Hakimi... Created by Real Madrid, and he blasts it down the middle, and Ashraf Hakimi has set Morocco to where they have never been before. Morocco are into the quarterfinals of the World Cup. In. Shot comes oh, in, it's a, goal. Oh, it's a lovely goal. What an angle. It's Gonzalo Ramos. The youngster. The man who came in to replace Cristiano Ronaldo has just done his job. <laughs> Carvalho, cross comes in. Pepe goes up. Pepe. Pepe. What a story. The 39-year-old Pepe. Look at it. Has scored for Portugal. Oh, again. Ramos with a hat trick. For the hat trick. He has He's done it. it. He has done it. Gonzalo Ramos has put his what name up in lines. Here's Rafael he Leal. Cutting on his right foot, no. Liao takes the shot. Oh, what a shot it is. Oh, an excellent goal from Rafael Liao. And it is six goals for Portugal. Welcome back to the global game. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. James Dodd and Scott McDonald, your hosts for tonight's show. Scotty, let's take a little look back at the first of today's last of 16 ties, shall we? 
Portugal 6, Switzerland 1. You just heard the highlights from the guys there. Gonzalo Ramos, a hat-trick on his World Cup debut. What a performance from him and also what a call from coach Fernando Santos as well. Unbelievable, isn't it? And you know what? The, this is what World Cups are all about, aren't they? You know, People actually putting their stamp on it and alerting people that they're around. Uh, the, you know, we've had it with the likes of the Scalacci's and, and players of the old. You know, here's a new star, you know, Ramos. You know, he, his first ever start for his national team as well. And he scores a hat-trick. Unbelievable. And I think there was a stat going around that he scored more goals in knockout phases than Cristiano Ronaldo has now, which is <laughs> and just another little sly digger at Cristiano throughout this process. It actually makes me sad. I'm, I'm, it's really disappointing me in terms of all the negative media around Cristiano Ronaldo and, and he's not helping himself and how he built into this tournament. It's really, really affecting his legacy for me. And, and, it, and it's a real shame because what a wonderful stalwart to the game he has been. And he will go down as one of the very you know, you have to say, Sandro, wonderful selection process, brave as well, you know, not playing Ronaldo, but a lot of the press are behind him and, and the, the, the public, I think, in Portugal now. Um, and you have to say it worked. And you were talking about Neymar last night, you know, Brazil playing better without uh, Neymar in it. Well, there's definitely that argument now and a, and a very good one that Ronaldo now doesn't get back in. Okay, so... I want you to put you want you to wear two hats here. So Ronaldo played in the dead rubber, if we can call it that, in the last group game, but he was benched for this. What does that tell you, Scott McDonald, as a former player and now as a coach? What how do you approach both those angles here? Is it clear now that the coach thinks they're better without him, but also there might be an acceptance from Cristiano Ronaldo that maybe he's not at the level and he's accepting that he's not at the level that he used to be? He'll never accept that. He just won't. Uh, and in terms of him playing that third game, that was his choice. I don't believe that for a second was the the manager's uh, choice. He wanted to play because he's thinking about his legacy. He's thinking about all-time leading goal scorer list. Um, now Messi's got nine. He needs to get nine. Um, that's all it's about for Ronaldo. Unfortunately, that it's a real shame, but it does seem to be just, and we, everyone stated that through previous, that's been his knocker, that he's not a team man. It's about Ronaldo. It's about his legacy. And, and we're, we're seeing that for, for the truth it is at the moment, which is really sad to say because this Portuguese team could go all the way. There's nothing saying that they can't right now. And in terms of that performance, they've laid a marker down. Um, and and look, they, they've got wonderful players all around the pitch. They're, they're a wonderful side, you know. Cancelo, Neves, you know, from, from Manchester City. Um, obviously, you've got uh, Rafael Leal with that wonderful, you know, you know, goal that he scored as well. Bruno Fernandes. It, it, the list goes on mm, and Jao on. Felix. Um, and you, Jao Felix. I mean, Jao Felix as well. You know, wonderful player. So, you know, it, it's it, it's just incredible. Um, th this side at the moment, and Ronaldo is just going to have to play that that role off the bench. I think for the rest of this tournament, it's as simple as that. So, the next question I've got for you is: you know, you would have you would have played in in teams where there was a powerful player in the dressing room who held a lot of sway. Maybe, you know, it was not necessarily the captain, but it was the player that was deemed to be the biggest and, and the best player in in that squad. So if you've got Ronaldo in there, we saw what he did at full time. He didn't join the rest of them to celebrate. You know, essentially made it all about Cristiano Ronaldo as he, let's be honest, he has a tendency to do that. Does this affect the rest of those players going into the knockout stages or do you think they're now on a high and they, they actually don't care about Cristiano? I think they don't care about him. I, I think they've they've gone past that point now. And I think it's it's great for the 
the, the manager and Sandro that, that it has as well. Um, I think their relationship's been solid throughout. Um, he's been there, obviously won the Euros with them and had a good relationship with Ronaldo. You know, they won the Euros without Ronaldo, remember? You yeah. know, he come off injured very early on in that final. Um, so th there is a case to say that this Portuguese side can find ways w without Cristiano. Um, and what tends to happen and. When you're such a big character personality, you do dominate proceedings, with, and it's not actually your fault. It's not Cristiano's fault a lot of the time because everything follows him where he goes. Mm. But it, it does bring another weight onto the actual team itself. Um, and you can see that, and the excuse will be, or people will say now, oh, the weight's been lifted because he's, he's not around. They don't have to please him. They can express themselves more freely, more fluently as individuals, but collectively as a unit because... Not every time they're getting through on goal, they have to find Cristiano. And you find that that's probably the, the way it's been going for a while now in Portuguese international football. Um, but that way it's been lifted. And, and to get a result like that, the manager 100% has the backing of absolutely everyone. And now, from a strength position, Ronaldo has not got a leg to stand on. Mm, it is true. And I think, you know, when you when you factor everything in, you have the Piers Morgan interview is... You know, his, his bitter breakup with Manchester United, which, let's be honest, was, was all self-inflicted in the way in which he behaved that. There's now the reports that he's going to be going to Saudi Arabia, to Al, Al Nasser, the team there. 200 million euros a year is what they're talking about there. I, I saw a great post mm -hmm. on social media that detailed the breakdown of that. It, it boils down to about 26 euros a second that he will be earning whilst he's mm. on that contract with there. And, you know, that, that maybe speaks volumes to Cristiano Ronaldo. He might not want to admit it, but if he's if he's settling to move to the Middle East and, you know, no disrespect to the, the Saudi league, it isn't anywhere near the level that European leagues are, that Major League Soccer's at, for example. So the fact that he's opting to go there, maybe, Scotty, it, maybe it does just mean that Cristiano Ronaldo is, is accepting his fate and is cashing in while he can. Well, as we touched on, Morocco will face... Portugal in the next round, no easy beats as we saw that. It could have been Spain in an all-Iberian clash, but La Roca didn't stick to their end of the bargain. We'll discuss their defeat next, live from Madrid. You're listening to The Global Game on SEN. Welcome back to The Global Game. Thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. James Dodd and Scott McDonald with you here on The Global Game. And it's now time to welcome our special guest for the evening to help us review that big World Cup defeat for Spain this morning. Crashing out in the round of 16 after they were defeated by Morocco on penalties. Joining us now live from the Spanish capital is ESPN's Madrid correspondent Alex Kirkland. Very good evening to you, Alex. Good morning in Madrid. Dare I ask uh, what the fallout's been to that loss? The mood is not good, as you can probably imagine. A, a national bout of soul-searching is already underway. Um, I think especially because of the way that it happened. The way that in so many ways this was such a predictable exit for, for Spain against Morocco. You just you know, you knew they'd have all the possession. You knew there'd, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of passes but but maybe no end product. You knew they had a good chance uh, the game was going to go to extra time because that happened in every one of their knockout games at Euro twenty twenty. You know, you knew there was a very good chance it would go to to a penalty shootout. Maybe what we didn't know was quite how feeble that penalty shootout was was going to be because it's one of the worst penalty shootout performances I can ever I can ever remember from from, from any team. So in that sense, it was even worse than than expected. Um, but as you can imagine, uh, it's not just, of course, in in the short term there's discussion about the future of of Luis Enrique, the coach, 
should he stay on? Does he want to stay on? There's a very, very good chance, I think, that he, that he goes. But there's also, as is always the case, at the beginning of a, of a wider debate about what's wrong with Spanish football, what needs to change in Spanish football. Is it a problem of Spain's style? Is it a problem of the kind of players that Spain is, is producing? So, so all of those discussions are, uh, are taking place today. Realistically, Alex, it's Scott McD- Sorry, start again. Alex, it's Scott McDonald here. Um, just in terms of you talk about Luis Enrique there, and there is a good chance of him going. Where does Spain look to then uh, next if they're going to be looking to appoint a new head coach? Well, the number one uh, outstanding candidate is Marcelino, uh, the former Villarreal Valencia, most recently uh, Athletic Club manager. He's out of work at the moment. He's available. Um, there's been some uh, suggestions that there have been informal contact um, in the build-up to the to the World Cup with Marcelino, in in the sense that they've said, look, you know, just just so you know, it's a possibility that that Luis Enrique goes, and just to make sure that he's aware not to take another job because the same job might be might be available. It, I mean, he probably is um, the outstanding candidate in terms of available Spanish coaches. Um, I don't think he's as good a coach as, as Luis Enrique is, but it, like I say, he might well be the best candidate. The interesting thing is that Marcelino would, the, the kind of um, typical Marcelino style has tended to be a little bit different to what we've seen from the Spain national team in recent years. His teams tend to be a little bit more direct, a little bit more aggressive. They've often played quite a sort of a robust kind of 4-4-2 uh, which isn't the kind of thing that we've that we've tended to see from from Spain. So it would be an interesting fit, and maybe it would elicit something of the change of style that I'm I'm talking about. If it's not Marcelino right now, I'm not sure who the other alternatives would uh, would be. Other people who might have been candidates, someone like Unai Emery, I suppose, of course, has just gone to to Villa in the Premier League not too long ago. So right now he wouldn't be a a candidate. So I think if it's going to be anyone. It's, it's going to be Marcelino. Alex, on Luis Enrique then, in, in terms of if he does step away from this job, how do you think this may have damaged him? Because he is a fascinating character and, he, you know, not just from football, he suffered an awful tragedy in, in his in his private life away from, from the game of, of you know, and, and his role of being head coach of Spain. He took a break, he came back, you know... We, we, I listened to your your fantastic podcast, the Spanish football podcast, and and you know you spoke at length about trying to predict Luis Enrique's teams. You know, was it going to be Carvajal or Aspilicueta? It ended up being Marcus Llorente playing at right back. There was the debate about Alvaro Morata. Would he play through the middle? Or would it be Marco Asensio? You then throw in the the mix that you know, completely. You know, I suppose bizarrely, but but rather fun was the fact that Luis Enrique was live streaming on Twitch every single night of this World Cup tournament, which, you know, you can't exactly imagine Gareth Southgate or, you know, Fernando Santos, the Portugal manager, doing something like that. Do you think this has any way damaged Luis Enrique's chances of maybe going on to secure a, a top club job after this? I don't think so. I think, look, here in Spain, Luis Enrique is an incredibly divisive character. He always has been. A lot of that is because so much of Spanish football comes down to the old divide between Real Madrid and Barcelona, and Luis Enrique being a guy who left Madrid for Barca as a player, went on to coach Barcelona, had huge success there. There has been real animosity between him and the Madrid-based 
press in, in, in particular. So a lot of it comes down to, to that as much as any doubts about his ability as a, as a manager or, or doubts about his, his approach or his decisions, although those doubts also exist, I think it's fair, uh, fair to say. Look, I, I, I love Luis Enrique. I fall firmly in the camp. I think he's an outstanding coach. I think he is um, the best Spanish coach around, other than Pep Guardiola, who, of course, is the, is, is the number one. Um, of course, this now looks, well, this World Cup has been a bit of a, uh, of, of a disaster um, after what was, in many ways, quite an encouraging Euros. You know, this was supposed to be the tournament, I think, where a lot of us expected Luis Enrique to, to take Spain quite a bit further down the, down the line, and it hasn't happened. But I don't think, I don't think it's, it's damaged his, his brand as a, as a coach or his you know, potential options in the future. I think he would get some, some very attractive potential offers if he does decide to, to leave Spain. Um, that might well come from, from overseas. Um, he's been, I think, quite keen in the past on potentially moving to the Premier League. He speaks pretty good English, quite a bit better than a lot of people realise. Um, so maybe he would look to uh, to move abroad. But yeah, I, I think people are aware that he's, when you look at his record, what he did with Barcelona, that he's a very, very good coach. Yes, there are some there's some question marks about uh, did he, well, well, ultimately, has he now failed in charge of Spain and where exactly the blame lies? But yeah, I don't think it's it's damaged his personal brand too much. Like you say, in many ways, I think the kind of the spotlight of the World Cup has got him a lot of a lot of attention because he's been doing this kind of quite um, attention grabbing stuff, like these uh, yeah, daily Twitch streaming sessions and and that kind of thing. Um, I think maybe because the World Cup um, gets so much attention internationally, I think maybe in a way it's it's kind of built his his image and his brand internationally. Even though yes. Spain's ultimate performance uh, maybe maybe has, has damaged it a little bit. Alex, just uh, alluding to you, you mentioned Morata there, someone that's not been uh, very much loved by the, the Spanish uh, sort of media and obviously public at times. Obviously, did did decent in this World Cup, scoring three goals. Had had a you know tough Euros and a World Cup prior to that. In terms of obviously for our listeners, and and we go down the list of all-time greats in, in Spanish strikers. Is this something that gets talked about? You know, there's no Torres, Morientes, Raul. I'll go far as far back as Goica Chair. I'm showing a little bit of my history there. But where are the next bunch of strikers coming? And is, is this something that the Spanish press and the public are alluding to, that there isn't any good number nines out there to, to take the lead and score those goals that seem to be missing from this team? Yeah, I think people are asking the question, why are we not producing enough? number nines. Are we producing too many, you know, Tiki Taka creative midfielders who are brilliant, of course, you know, Pedri's amazing, Gabby's amazing, but there is there something about Spanish football's identity, about the way that Spanish academies work, about the way that young Spanish players are produced that means that we're not producing proper forwards in it, and maybe it hasn't been the case for, for a while. Like, you know, I think Marat is a, a very good player, but it's true that he's not an absolutely top player I don't think and there's been doubts about him everywhere he's gone and there's been I think good reasons for, for that so yeah that's a question that people are are asking and I, I think I do think that Spain for all of their talented young players what they do lack when it comes to tournament football is a, kind of a, a, an elite game changing player um, whether it's a, a, a star forward or something like that who can kind of get them out of trouble or who can score a goal from nothing in a game like the game against Morocco 
yesterday. And they don't have that. They don't have anyone that they can look to, to 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 do that. And that's why you get these games where they kind of you know have all of the ball and try and try and try. But it's almost like it's kind of everything has to be perfect. Everything has to fall into place. You know, the final pass has to be has to be just right. They don't have anyone who can just do something from from nothing um, in the final third. I think that's definitely an issue. It, it's hard to say what the what the reasons are. Maybe there is something in, in like I say, in the kind of players that Spanish football tends to produce and then it doesn't favour uh, producing a, a proper centre forward. But then look, of course, you know, Spain had their greatest success when you look back at the golden age of from 2008 to, to 2012. And of course they had David Villa, who, you know, for many people was the greatest uh, Spanish striker of all time, the all-time record scorer for the, for the national team. But after him, when you move on towards um, Euro 2012, for example, Spain moved away from that and ended up playing without a centre forward. You know, that they were playing with often even with someone like Jeff Fabregas as a kind of false nine and had a lot of success doing that. So Spain have had success in the past without a proper centre forward. I guess the question is whether football has kind of moved on a bit from that and Spain maybe need to move on as well. Alex, just finally, um, there was reports going into this game that, you know, I listened to you guys on the podcast discussing the, the large number of Moroccan fans and, and Moroccan residents that, that live in Spain, given that Spain and Morocco are so close to one another. Were there any reports of, of any any trouble after that, that win from Morocco? Not that I've seen. Um, yeah, you're right, Spain and Morocco are, are neighbours. Of course, it's just a, a few miles um, from mainland Spain across the Straits of Gibraltar to in Morocco, you've also got a couple of Spanish cities on the African coast, you know, right there in next to Morocco in Ceuta and, and, and Melilla. Um, so, yeah, they are very, very close neighbours, and there's a huge number of Moroccans that live here in, in Spain. Uh, what we did see after the game was you know, big groups of, of Moroccan fans celebrating. Um, you, you saw that here in the centre of Madrid in the, in the Puerto del Sol and places like that getting together and celebrating. But fortunately, I haven't seen any reports of, of any significant uh, problems and that is uh, that is very good news. Well, that is a positive, that's for sure. Even if the big negative of the night is Spain crashing out of the World Cup on penalties once again. ESPN's Madrid correspondent Alex Kirkland, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Alex. My pleasure. Plenty more still to come here on the Global Game on SEN. We'll be back after this. Yassine Bono comes up with the goods, and after two kicks each, it's Morocco 2 0. Badr Ben Nun strolls up, and it's saved by Unai Simon. In all of his years, all of his experience, walks up to the spot, and it's saved again by Bono. Far too relaxed that penalty from Sergio Busquets. Welcome back to the Global Game on SEN. Those were today's great saves for Schnitz, the best hands in the schnitzel business. Schnitz handcrafted schnitzels. Right, Scott McDonald, let's talk about the quarterfinal matchup, shall we? I'm going to pick your brains on each team. Predictions, you name it. Croatia versus mm-hmm. Brazil, the first of those. 2 a.m. kickoff live on SEN on Saturday. Where do you think this one's going to be going? Well, look, I think everyone will, will say, and, and rightly so, Brazil are favourites in terms of how they came out of the blocks in, in their previous game against South Korea and, and just smashed them to bits in the first half and the game was over at 4-0. I don't see that being the case against Croatia. I think Croatia always find a way um, within these tournaments. They're, they're a wonderful, fascinating nation in terms of you know their population and, and how they keep producing these, these, these talents. However, they are an ageing team. They've got a few stalwarts in there. Obviously, Luka Modric is fantastic and, and Perisic with his wonderful header um, in the last game. Uh, they'll make it very difficult for Brazil. Um, they've not scored a lot of goals, Croatia. That's what concerns me about their chances within this game. And I think if the Samba style uh, 
hits on, um, particularly later on in this game. I think that's when they'll they'll get their uh, their rewards, Brazil, and, and it'll probably end up a one two one or two goals uh, difference. Yeah, we did touch on on the global game earlier this week about just how this Brazil team used to be a bit gung ho and go it anyway to try and find a, an early goal, but now they seem quite adept at, at sitting in and and just wearing an opposition down. So that that doesn't bode too well for Croatia. Okay, next up, this is the one that I think is going to be really, really tight. Netherlands against Argentina. All eyes will be on Lionel Messi as ever, but does that play into the hands of, of Louis van Gaal? I, I think so. In, in terms of Louis van Gaal's you know, side, it's very adaptable. They played a back three against the USA as well, changed things a little bit. I really, really like Dumfries. He's had a wonderful World Cup. Cody Gapko's, you know, just adding zeros to his uh, transfer tag at the moment. Uh, and look, Memphis Depay as well now, all-time leading scorer for Holland. He's another threat. So, you know, the Dutch, you know, have gone about their business quietly. And I've always said that they're the dark horses. You know, they've, they're still a quality outfit. Um, and with Van Dijk at the back, you know, we forget about him a lot because we talk about always attacking players within World Cup. But... You know, they've got a natural leader there. It's, it's going to be a difficult game for Argentina and Messi. And I still think that they're, they're just lacking something. Uh, Alvarez has obviously impressed me um, since he's come into the team instead of Martinez. Uh, but no Di Maria as well, like we talked about. Could that be a worry? Even though he's ageing, uh, he still gives them something different. Um, but there's a lot of expectancy on Messi. And if he plays in that front area and as a number nine, he doesn't press. So, you know, straight away that puts you on the back foot against a quality opposition if you're not going to press them. So it'll be interesting to see how they set up and, and how they're going to work it out against the Dutch. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I think the, the key areas you touched on, Denzel Dumfries and, and Daly Bin have been so successful as those wing backs. They've had teams really struggling to deal with them. So could that be where Argentina do come unstuck? Okay, Morocco against Portugal. Where do you like here? Well, we know what we're going to get from Morocco. They're going to be hard to break down. They're going to be hard to beat. Um, they've been absolutely wonderful under their, their new manager. It's not new anymore. Everyone knows him. So, um, you know, they're not conceding a lot of goals. They've only conceded one goal in this competition so far. So I don't see this being a, another six-goal uh, thriller from Portugal. However, look, this one could go all the way for me. Uh, Portugal in previous tournaments as well. They, they like to go to extra time. They like to go the full way. They've not had a lot of success um, in terms of, you know, knockout phases, particularly in World Cups that, you know, this is their best run since 2006. So uh, if anything is going to cause an upset, you know, Morocco have done it time and again already in this competition. Could they do it again? I think they possibly could. But again, you're looking at it with Portugal's class team like we talked about earlier there. Surely they've got enough to get over the line, but you just never know in this game, hey? No, yes, absolutely right. I think with Portugal, I, I do think they will. They offer a different threat to to what Spain offers. Spain, you know, they had a, a thousand and nineteen passes this morning and had one shot on target. Portugal will play a bit different to that, and I think they'll ask a few more questions of Morocco. Okay, the last one, England against France. I know what you're going to say. You're going to upset me here, but do England have any chance in this game, or are France simply too strong across all areas of the pitch? No, they have a big chance. They've been excellent. 12 goals already in the tournament tells you that, that England have been free-flowing and, and very, very effective going forward. Harry Kane's now got off the, you know, on the score sheet as well. Saka's been great. Does he play Foden? Does he play Rashford? There's obviously question marks. Does he play Henderson again? Which I think he will because he'll try and nullify and control that midfield. So he won't want that to go. Bellingham's been an absolute revelation. We already knew about his talents, but he's brought it to another level. He, he's now obviously challenging for that golden ball and, and 
in my opinion, if they continue in this tournament. Um, so they are a threat to France, but Harry Maguire is now going to get tested. So this is going to be the answer. This is going to be the biggest question now because I don't think England have been tested too many times in this tournament so far just because their performance has been excellent. But England need to score first in this game for me, Dozzy. If yeah. they don't score first, I think this could be a long, long game for them. Um, but if they just score first, then I, I actually do think that they could cause an upset as well. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you there. I just think, I just wonder if Gareth Southgate might be looking at that that front four of Giroud, Griezmann, Dembele and Mbappe. And I really hope he doesn't change to a back three. Mm. I do think he's had such success with this back four and the way they've played. I just hope he doesn't go through with it. But that's it for the global game tonight. Scotty Mack will be back tomorrow night with Alex Brosk from 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time or from 6pm on the podcast. Just search Global Game SEN. Thanks very much for your company this evening and, in fact, this week. It's been an absolute blast sitting in for Simon Hill. Enjoy the football. Scotty Max back tomorrow night.